All right, we're going to read the text for today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us not, or let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Thanks, Luke. Hey, good morning, church. I don't think this is on yet. If you've been walking with us through the letter of 1 John, you've probably seen a few times that the title that we have chosen for this series is Letters of John, How God's Children Live. How God's Children Live. And the other day I was watching a uh, What's in the Bible on Right Now Media with my kids. And Phil Vischer, um, he, he did a summary of 1 John. He said, 1 John is about who is a Christian. And true Christians, you'll see it on the screen, um, are those who have true teaching, true living, and true loving. True teaching, true living, true loving. I wish I saw that earlier because that would have been good to say over and over again. But that's what we've been covering over and over again in 1 John. True Christians have a true kind of teaching, true living, and a true loving. And today, we are revisiting this theme of love. And John likes to teach in circles. And he'll teach a theme and give us a glimpse of it like a diamond, a beautiful glimpse of it. And then he'll talk about some other things. And then uh, he started in chapter 2 with love and then come back in chapter 3. Let me talk about love again and another beautiful facet of love. And then now in chapter 4, he shows us another facet of love. And we're seeing the very apex, the pinnacle of love, God's love. The very source of where chapter 2's love and chapter 3's love come, comes from, we see it in this phrase, God is love, and in this section this morning. But what is love? Some of you guys just heard a song in your head. It's just like clockwork if you were 30 and up. <laughs> because love is bombarded, that term is bombarded at us every day from every kind of angle, and we use it for very big things like a love for a spouse or a love for a parent, and also a love for a taco, or a love for a new gizmo in our kitchen that is so great. I just love this thing. It works so well, right? I mean, love is just used for everything. And, and in doing so, we have diminished, we have diluted the potency of love and so if you leave the world to define love, you'll get about as many answers as there is people. What is love? And if we don't get this straight, what hope do we have understanding God's love? Or what hope do we have in obeying his command for us to love one another? We're going to dive deep into the love of God this morning more than we have yet we're going to look at what is his love, what is it like tangibly, and how we ultimately as the church are the missing piece 
to the love of God that's manifested in this world. And I'm going to explain that in a second. So let's look at this command, this call. Let us love. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Just a reminder again, we're just inviting you to bring your own Bibles to the church gathering so you know your Bibles well. Again, I'm going to just keep saying this until you're just annoyed by it. You're probably already annoyed by it. So that you know that your source of truth is not me, but this. So bring your own Bible, please. Please, please, please bring your own Bible. Um, if you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can look along. Or we even invite you to look along with someone who has their Bible with them. That would be awesome. Some verses will be on the screen, uh, but they'll be selective. Okay, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Remember, John's, John is this spiritual grandpa. He's in his 70s or 80s. He has his heart full of love, and he is addressing his people with this title. Beloved. Beloved. Grounding their identity of who they are in God's love. And this is something that I would love to do more and more. I know that some of you would find that weird if I said, Beloved. Who, who would find that weird? Beloved, yeah, you would find that weird. But that is, that is actually very true to how we ought to relate with each other. Beloved, you are my beloved, you are God's beloved. And he, fi- he grounds everything he's going to say from that identity. Now, notice how he commands them and calls them to love. He didn't say, you love. What does he say instead? Let us love. He has, he's not coming from a place of arrival, coming from a place of I've arrived, you do it now. No, let us continue to love one another in this present reality as the beloved community of God. Who are we to love according to this passage? What does it say? One another. This has been repeated throughout the letter. And make no mistake, this is not an exclusive love but a special love for the family of God. John will give further reasons why this is so essential later on. We'll, we'll cover that. But let me show you a quick reference from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It's on the screen here. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So, everybody. But, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So there's a repeated theme throughout the, the whole Bible that all of us are called to love and do good to Every single person without exception. And yet, we especially love those who are in the household of faith. This does not mean we don't radically and deeply love unbelievers or skeptics. So often, the church is not, has not been characterized in the West as loving. And I know as you hear this, you, you may think like, what, what does it mean? Do you mean that we just focus on each other and forget them? Listen, I... I know most of you here. And those here who love the believers in this body well also love unbelievers well. You can't have one without the other. If you radically love people the way this passage is going, we're going to talk more about what that love looks like. You cannot help but then overflow with love for unbelievers. So it's not an exclusive love like we're just holy club. Oh, us and no one else. No, no, no. It's a love that overflows. And we're going to see that over and again. We're going to see this idea of this, this fountain that gets filled with love and then eventually overflows. And then it overflows and overflows. We're going to get that there in a second. But let's look at what this love looks like 
And where do we get this kind of love? Look at verse 7 again. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. What we see here is that love is from God. It doesn't say God loves, though he does, but love finds its source from God. So now we're going to go into four reasons to love like God. And while we do that, we're going to take a quick pit stop of what that love looks like, okay? It's a little confusing because John is not so perfectly linear. So you got to follow me. He's going to give four reasons why we love. And in the middle of that, he's going to stop and give you all these, re- all these pictures of what that love actually is like. So number one, reasons for love. You're born of God. 1 John 4, 7, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This has been repeated throughout this whole letter, this idea of that those who are born of God. It means that you've been born again, not physically, but spiritually. You have been given a new nature, just like my children tend to be like me and my wife in the good and the bad and the ugly. They imitate us because they're from us. They have our DNA. Similarly, those who have been born of God have God's nature. And we'll be like God. We'll act like God. Love like God. This new birth transforms our heart that is born inwardly, deeply selfish, deeply about us, and starts to open up our hearts to be outward and loving others like God does. This new birth by the Spirit does so much more than this, but it doesn't do less than this. If you are born of God, you become like your heavenly father. And true children of God increasingly become like their father. Number two, another reason for loving is those who know God. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We're going to talk about that second half because God is love in a minute. But true children of God know their father intimately. Not perfectly or exhaustively. Because God is infinite, but truly and increasingly. And the more you get to know God, you cannot help but let that knowledge and that intimacy, that relationship transform you. Just like my wife and I have transformed each other drastically over the last 12 years of our marriage. I am a different person because of her. She is different because of me. And even more so, as you get to know your heavenly father, it radically transforms you because God is love. And if you say you love... If you do not love, and you say you know God, that doesn't make sense. It's impossible. You cannot know this God. You cannot have this God as your father and not love like this. God has been making, John has been making stark comments all throughout this letter, very black and white. And yes, there are gray things in the world. There are complexities in the world. There are nuances that we want to be careful about. But this is not one of them. You cannot know God and not love people. Period. Because God is love. So this is a great opportunity for me to say that many churches, as I mentioned early, have failed to love like this. Many of us here have been wounded by people who are so-called Christians who did not love like this. And you carry those wounds and they hurt deeply. And I know that. And I've contributed to that hurt at times in my life. But what we see here is that God's true children, not those who just confess their children, but those who are truly his children, know him and love like him. And you cannot separate those. Increasingly and progressively over time, they love like that. And so 
Again, I am so sorry if you've been hurt and wounded by the church for not loving you as you ought to be loved. And I would just say that that is an absolute contradiction to the very heart of Scripture and the heart of God. What does this statement mean that God is love? We've all heard this before. God is love. And sadly, it's often divorced from the context. It's just cut off. God is love. But what does that mean? Well, let me help explain this by pointing out what kind of specific love is used here in the Greek. 1 John 4, 8. You're going to see it on the screen. I'm going to, I don't usually use Greek because I don't want you to feel like you can't know your Bibles without Greek. But sometimes it is really helpful. So I'm going to use it this time. Because God agape is... That's the literal translation there, agape. And some of you guys have heard this from different teachers over the years, that there's multiple Greek words to describe God's love or just love in general. And sometimes the challenge in our English translations is we just kind of mix it all together. Love is just love. But the kind of love we're talking about in this whole section is agape love. What do we see here? This is a love that is sourced from God. It's God-like. It only belongs to God. It originates from Him. It's part of His very essence. It is Him. Yes, God loves, but it's because God is love. See, we, we struggle often with this idea that God is a triune God. There's a trinity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. And there's a lot there to talk about, and I'm not going to hijack this whole sermon and talk about the trinity. But one thing that is essential to understand about the triune nature of God, is that for God to be eternally loving, he has to be triune. You've heard this before, but let me say it again. If God did not have this love relationship between the Father, the Son, the Spirit, that overflowed into creation, then God, if he was just only one, would be lonely and at a deficit because you can't love when there's no one there. So what we see at the heart of the Christian faith is a community of love, and that love overflowed, not out of deficit or out of need or out of loneliness, but out of overflow into creating us to share and invite us into this loving relationship. We also see that God is the definer of love. When we say God is love, it is not the same thing as love is God. Just like if I had to say, my hair is black, doesn't mean black is my hair. You following that? See, we start from God and work backwards to understand and get cues what love is. Not go from our foundation of how we understand love and then work backwards and say, God, how do you fit into that? See, often people will say this statement. If God is a God of love, then he would do blank. Insert the the situation. If God is a God of love, Sam, then he would do blank. But God is the one who tells us what love actually looks like, not the reverse. I have to move on from here, but let me summarize this section. John's logic. Look on with me. We're going to come back to this agape love. Those who have been born of God are God's children. God's children have God's nature. God's children know their father. God is love which is his nature. Therefore, God's children will love like God. Do you follow that? Let's see what God's love is like, though, now. Because love, again, is so overused. And, and I could tell you, dictionaries say agape means unconditional. 
But how do you know what words mean in the Bible? You have to look at how it's shown in the Bible. And you piece those together, and there you get a definition of what God means by those words. So what does it mean that God is love? What is this word love? Well, let's look at verse 9. What is God's love like? And this is the love, sorry, here. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There's so much here, and I'm going to sadly have to skimp on some of these sections. But one of the first things that you can see here is that love is an action. Love is concrete. This is a love that is not a feeling or a concept, but manifests itself in real life as a, pers- as a person with real actions. Every single one of us here knows the severe letdown of someone declaring their undying love or just declaring just that they love you not even undying romantically. And feeling the immense disillusionment and cynicism when they don't love you, actually. They don't do anything about it. Be warm and fed. I love you, Sam. But you don't show up when, I'm need, when there's need. We all know what that's like. We all feel the pain of that. We've all done that to other people. We've said it and yet failed to live it. But what we see here is that God's love is not merely spoken which it is, it's manifested by sending his most treasured possession, his son. The most valuable possession God has is his son. There's nothing more loving, more valuable that he can give than his son. Any parents in here would rather die a million deaths before they would send their kid to die a death. You know what I'm saying? There's no way. The most Loving, treasured possession of God is his son, and he sends his son. That's insane. So Jesus' love, God's love, is defined by concrete action of laying down, giving up of what is prized, what's valuable. So when we understand that love is an action, then we have to understand love is not a feeling. Now this is me pushing back against what our culture is going to understand love as. So often we think love is a feeling. Which true love will often result in feelings. Of course. However, the love that this passage talks about is proof of God's unfathomable, lavish love towards us that we see in an event. And what I mean by that, we know God loves us and we feel God's love because we see an event that he did for us. So if you don't feel God's love, look at this event. Let me, let me explain this another way because I, I know I just lost some of you in that. Imagine receiving a love letter for some, from someone you really like. And for the first time ever, they declare their undying love for you. What would you feel right after you read those words? What would you feel? Love. The feelings of love. Happiness. Joy. All this stuff. But that love did not come on its own. As if you were just sitting there just, and all of a sudden you're like, Woo! Love. Wow, I feel this love. No, no. It came in response to a revelation of a truth. You encountered a reality. You read this. You're like, oh, she really loves me. Me. She loves me. And then all of a sudden, the, the good feelings come. And so often we have this backwards. I remember as a new believer, after about a year of becoming a Christian, I went through this dry season where I felt, I didn't feel the love of God. I felt like I was in a desert. God felt distance. And I was like, God, I want to feel your love. And I would just sit there and pray and pray. God, help me feel your love. Help me feel your love. Help me feel your love. 
And what I didn't realize, and what God patiently led me by the hand through, is that my feelings eventually started to follow revelation of his love. Revelation of what he has said already and what he has done already. So when I meditate on God's love through the cross, or on different provisions or promises in his word, my heart then responds when it's properly functioning with emotion. But the love is not the emotion. The emotion follows true love. It's not a feeling that comes and goes on a whim, but it's a feeling that is grounded in reality. My feelings day to day of God's love for me is directly connected to how much I'm grasping and receiving these realities of God's love for me through his son. When my vision is dim towards what God has done through Jesus, then I don't feel God's love. See how it follows? When we lose sight of what God has done and what he will do when he's doing, then all of a sudden, of course, we shouldn't feel love. But if your whole Christianity is built on feelings devoid from revelation, devoid from concrete events, then you're going to just be just pushed back and forth based off of every feeling. One day you don't feel love, one day you feel loved. We've seen this all the time in our church. People just so excited, oh, I feel the love of God, and it's devoid from reality. Church, ground our emotions in these realities, and emotions will come. Our hearts will often betray us, as we heard in a few sermons ago. But let the objective historical realities, I mean, what more could God do for us to declare his love for us? What stakes higher could he go? Just give you everything you want? He died for you. <laughs> Let that fill your heart with fresh love. Now let's look at this idea that love is unconditional. We're continuing this train of thought of what is God's love like? God's agape love is unconditional, which means without condition. Or strings. Sadly, human love is usually defined and described in terms of response to something desirable in a situation or a person. So, so like this. I love her because she is beautiful. I love him because he's funny or he values me. I love that thing because it's so helpful. Human love is usually response love. Let me, let me share a quote from David Allen. He was really helpful in this. Agape love comes first. It creates value in its object, whether there is any intrinsic value there or not. The sun shines on the earth, not because the earth is the earth, but because the sun is the sun. God's lo God loves me because he is, not because I am. Isn't that good? Oh, that's so good. That is so helpful. According to the Bible, there's nothing in us that would make God love us. And that is both. Listen, this truth is absolutely devastating to our egos and simultaneously absolutely liberating for our hearts. Let me explain. We struggle to fathom a love like this because a love that is not tied to because is infuriating. It's vulnerable. It's stripping. Everything in our culture and oftentimes our families prime us to connect love and because. They have to come together. 
We used to play this stupid game in this discipleship school I did, I was part of, where on someone's birthday, they would sit in the, a circle and we would all go around and say, I love you, James, because this. I love you because of this. <laughs> and you know, that probably made James feel really good. But, but you know what else he could think? But what if I'm not that anymore? Will you still love me? What if you don't know the full depths of my heart and that's just a, a show? Will you still love me? See, the love of God has been so deeply, and oftentimes because of our families, either explicitly or on accident, they reinforced through a million different ways, our parents, this idea that love is directly connected to performance. What you did, what you've done, who you are, what you have, what job you have, what grades you get, who you know, how you look like. And because our whole culture and everything is pushing towards identity of our love, loveliness connected to activity and, and performance, it is so hard to receive that God would just love us because he decides to love us. It is so humbling and stripping. Because then it, just, it just strips us of all boasting. God, you love me because I'm so faithful in the Bible. You love me because I'm such a servant. But what if God just loves you because he decided to love you because God is love? Then you just come like this. Not come like, hey, here's this, here's this. You just come empty-handed. And yet God's love, if you receive that, is absolutely liberating because that kind of performance, love, is exhausting. Isn't it? Isn't it exhausting to try to earn God's love, to be good enough and worthy for God's love, or to have that kind of relate, that attitude in relationships? It is exhausting. And so receive this love, church. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That is liberating and yet humbling at the same time. What would it look like if we truly received this kind of love, church? <laughs> now let's look at another one way what love looks like. Love is proactive. 1 John 4.10. Look in your Bible with me, please. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is not a reactive love. Notice, not that we have loved God, but he loved us. Right? This reminds you probably of Romans 5.8. While we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a proactive love. If there's going to be any reconciliation between God and man, you would think the offender should be the one to initiate it. Right? After all, we're the one who caused the problem in the first place. But God did not wait for rebellious humanity to get their act together, climb up this mountain of God, and try to initiate reconciliation. No, no, God came down and came to us in our mess, proactively meeting us where we're at. This is the love of God. This is a proactive love of enemies. Loving people who regularly wrong you. God loves us when we regularly are ungrateful and grumble and question him. And ignore him. This is the kind of love of God we're talking. This unfathomable, steadfast, proactive kind of love. A kind of love that can only exist from someone who is love. And what did he send his son to do? It says this, to be the propitiation. Propitiation for our sins. Now, this is a really important word. And if you have not been with us in this series, you may be like, what is that word? I preached a whole sermon on this a few months ago. Under the title, we have an advocate. 
we have an advocate. If you do not, if you miss that, you don't understand this word propitiation, please look at that. It is so essential to your understanding of God and the gospel. But in short, propitiation means that Jesus, the innocent one, lovingly volunteered and was sent to absorb the punishment you and I deserve, absorb the wrath, propitiate God's wrath, and so now God can be uh, absorb the God's wrath, so now God can be, the term is propitious towards us, favorable towards you. So now instead of a frown, there's a smile towards you because Jesus absorbed all that you and I deserved. And so what's left is favor and peace with God. That's, that's a very, very bad summary of propitiation. So listen to that sermon. But let me just say this. We have a number of visitors here. I don't recognize maybe a, I don't know, 10 of you or so. If you don't know this love, if you're not confident you have peace, that Jesus is your sacrifice, Jesus is your peace with God, would you come talk with me? I'd love to pray with you. I don't want you to leave without having that confidence and peace that you are his. So please come. Now, John is going to now call us back into what he started this passage with. Let's look at the overflowing agape love of God. Verse 11. Beloved, it's going to be on the screen. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Whenever you see this word so in English, it's often not meaning intensity, but like this. How did God love us? He loved us by sending his most valuable possession as propitiation for our sins. So go up, beloved, God loved us in this way. We also ought to love one another. Now, now, what's this word love in Greek? What is it called? Agape. God, agape loved us. Now, let's look at this passage and we translate it. Beloved, if, if in this way God agape send us, and we ought to one another agape on. So those are different versions of the same word. So what are we seeing here? God is saying that he is agape loved us, and now we agape love others. This changes everything. It changes all the stakes here. See what he's doing here? The same kind of agape love he has for us, now that should flow to agape love others. And according to this last section that we've just been going through, what is this love like? This love is not based on a feeling. It's demonstrated in real life with concrete, tangible actions. It's unconditional. It's proactive. And it's sacrificial. When you hear the word agape love, that's what we're talking about. Not a feeling, not just a passive love, but this kind of ferocious, unfathomable, insane, absurd love. The love of God within the Trinity, like a fountain, overflows to us. And then we, as we are filled with the love of God, overflows to each other. And as we love one another, that overflows to love to the world. Remember, God never asks us to do that which he has not done for us, and he does to us. And so that which God has done to us, he now wants to do through us, church. This is not an earning love, it's an overflowing love. And so this is why unbelievers, though they can love in some ways, they cannot agape love. Because they don't know agape love. Until you know the agape love of God, you can only love people with conditions. And... To the extent you agape love others is the extent you know the love of God. 
Let's look at the fourth and final reason. We're going back to the reasons for love in this passage. God's love needs a picture on the earth. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's a lot here. I'm going to have to skimp on some of it. But let's connect this with John chapter 1 to understand this passage well. You can see it on the screen. If you're taking notes, John 1.18. Very important. Would you read this out loud? No one has ever seen God. So no one has seen God, the Father, but Jesus, the Son. And Jesus makes the Father known. So let's put this together with verse 18. Sorry, verse 12 in our passage in 1 John 4. The reality is this. No one has seen God but Jesus, the Son. And Jesus makes God's love manifest in his life. So when Jesus walked on this physical earth, he manifested God's love in the way he lived, the way he talked, the way he touched people, the way he healed, the way he showed mercy. It was love made manifest. But here's the problem. Jesus didn't physically stay on the earth. He ascended at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus' love is no longer physically manifested in Jesus on the earth. He is no longer here. But who is here? We are in the Spirit. Do you see? Do you see how it all comes together? So we, His people, who are filled by the Spirit, receive the love of Christ. God's love pours out into us. And now we are the living embodiment of Jesus' love on the earth. And so if people say, what is God's love like? You should just say, look at ABC. That's God's love. We are his walking embodiment. And when we see this word perfected or fulfilled, we are, we are letting love go to its full extent. Because love, when it traces the natural progression, is that it's received and then it overflows. So when we love one another, we are perfecting love on this earth, this love that is invisible to the world. So how can people see and know and experience the agape love of God? Not you just sitting there, God, may they feel the love of God. Experience the love of God right now. That's what I grew up in. No. God, help me show the love of God by the way I love my brother and sister. And let that overflow in love for them. Please pray. Because we need the Holy Spirit to move. But don't let love be primarily shackled to just feeling. But manifestation in our true love for one another. Just like the community within Trinity demonstrates love, so do we. So listen, if you are a lone wolf Christian, you're spiritual but not religious. You're not into that whole church membership or you know, institutional thing. You cannot live this out. You can't. You can't because your love is just selective. You go into churches and you decide, is this church worthy of my, my attendance? <laughs> is this church good enough for me? That kind of thinking will never manifest the agape love of God to the world. For MCs you're part of or DNAs you're part of. What if we flip the script and instead of walking into an MC or a DNA and say, who can love me? You can say, who can I love? What if you walked into this room and instead of looking, am I loved here? Am I accepted here? Do people like me? No, no. Who can I love? Who can I manifest and overflow the agape love of God to other people? 
This is also, you know how earlier I talked about how I can feel the love of God when I think about what God's lo- God has done through Jesus? I can also feel the love of God through you guys and hopefully through me. That many of you have loved and served me and my family sacrificially over these five years in such radical ways. And you know what? I experience and feel the love of God through you. And hopefully you experience it through me. That's how we we feel the love of God, is through each other. Don't say like, yeah, I know all these people love me, but I really want to just feel the love of God. No, no, that is the love of God being channeled through people. God does love you. See? See this? See that? See that time last week and see that? That's God's love shown through flesh, through people. And when our hearts rightly calibrate and feel rightly, then the feelings of love accompany that. So, church, who is the Lord calling you to agape love this week? Remember the word agape, unconditional, proactive, sacrificial, steadfast, covenantal too. Imagine if every single one of us here agape loved someone this week that you weren't going to love. Someone who doesn't like you. Someone you don't like. Someone who has not loved you well. What if every single one of us did that this week? What would this church be like a week from today? Now, multiply that by four. What if we did that every week for the next month? And then just multiply it by 12. What if we did that for 12 months? Every week we took a step of faith by God's grace to love someone in an agape love way that you wouldn't normally want to love in your natural flesh. What would our community look like a year from now, church? Don't you want to be part of a community like that? I do. And I know I am part of that community because I'm seeing you love one another like this more and more. And church, I'm going to say, yes, you are doing great. Let's keep doing this. But we're not doing this from a place of deficit or earning, but a place of overflowing. And so to have this kind of love, you have to steep in the love of God every day. You have to sit and remember these truths. That's why church Sundays can feel repetitious. We need to be reminded of the great love of God through Jesus and his sacrifice for us. You need to remember the gospel daily and let that love catapult your sinful, selfish, inward-looking heart to be outward and love others. I need it every day. I don't wake up just saying, I want to love everyone. I, wanna, I wake up and you want to say, I want to love me. And who can love me? And I just long for the day, church, that our primary question, we would be more fixated on who we can love, not who can love us. We're more focused on, are we loving like God has loved me, instead of, man, these people have not loved me. How many million church issues would be solved if every single one of us had that mindset? Less fixated on how people have wronged you, let you down, not loved you, not greeted you, not reached out to you, not followed up in your text in, in the right time, but loved you, just, you just focus on loving them and let all those things work out. Wouldn't that be amazing? Don't you want to be part of that community? I want to be part of that community. Amen? And imagine as we do that over time, what would happen in these cities. The world could not ignore the love of God, the agape love of God manifest in for one another. So people are always asking this question. Where is God? If God is real, why doesn't he show himself? And then we can just say, he has. Look at our church. 
He shows himself every day in tons of different ways. The way we love each other. Look here. Love manifested in person. Christians, we, find, we chiefly find the agape love through Christ on the cross, but the world chiefly finds the agape love through us. And then we bring them, we, we, we are the mediator to Christ through Jesus. So church, let us make God's love visible by the way we love each other. Let APC marked by this agape love of God. And so I want to invite the band up, and we're going to continue what we've been doing for the last few weeks. I'm going to have Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, or 14 through 18, up on the screen, 16. And I want to ask you, if you're willing, to close your eyes, and I'm going to read this passage slowly, and I just want to pray it over you, and I want to ask that God would help you receive these truths afresh, and I want you to, I'm asking you to ask God to help you believe and receive these words. Okay, we're just, we're going to be scripture-fed, these prayers, and spirit-led. So just take a moment to quiet as I've been so loud and just yelling at you for a while. Father, I pray with Paul that according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So I... Father, I ask right now that you'd strengthen our hearts through power in our inner being by the Spirit. Strengthen our hearts by your Spirit, Lord, in our inner being. Why, Lord? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. God, give us strength by the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts, live and abide in our hearts, through faith. Father, give us strength by the Spirit so that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Rooted and grounded in the agape love of God. Every single one here, Lord, help us right now uproot all the roots that are grounded in performance love. Grounded in the cultural love, in self-love. Uproot those lies, the lies that our parents may be perpetuated in our hearts, that it's all about us being good enough or smart enough or successful enough. Uproot those roots, Lord, and replace them with roots deep in the love of God right now, I ask. God, we pray, verse 18, by the Spirit, that you would give us strength to comprehend with all the other saints here, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, depth of the love of God. Oh God, this love is unfathomable. It's supernatural for us to grasp, but we can't just do it by thinking hard enough. We need your spirit to reveal this kind of love. Would you reveal this love, God, right now? Help our hearts grasp just even one more degree of this love. Verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Help us know this love that surpasses understanding, human understanding. Help us know the love of Christ, God. Help us receive the love of Christ. Yes, you, even you. He wants you to know his love without condition, 
Not with what you bring, but what he brings. Let him love you, church. His unconditional love. Receive the love of Christ. And Father, I pray that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And this fullness of love would fill us and overflow through us to this community and to this world. This is not possible on our own. Fill us, Lord.